Let's open up to, uh, it's a Rams cap. All right, just let me have it, let me have it. I'm so glad that we are wrapping up the end of Matthew 10. Some of you guys are going to be so convicted this morning. <laughs> let's, let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew has been so good, so good. I think as a Christian, one of the hardest things for us is to see others that are missing out, that don't know Jesus. We know that he's come to give life. He's the Prince of Peace. You know, he came preaching peace. Um, and it's hard. Sometimes I just want to say to somebody, get a life. You know, it's like, this is really what you're living for. This is it. We know the scriptures tell us that he who finds his life will what? He's going to lose it. In order to find life, according to God, according to his word, you're going to lose it. But we have a hard time letting go of things, don't we? Okay especially if we allow a root of bitterness to get into our hearts. I ain't ever going to let go of that. I ain't ever going to move on from that. I'm never going to forgive there. I won't do that. Or there's sin in our life. I, I enjoy that too much. I know sin's fun for a season, but I really, <laughs> this is going to be a long season because I'm not willing to give that up yet. Or even my career, my ideals, my throne. But Jesus says, when you lose your life, that's when you're really going to find life. But I find life in these other things. This is where I find life, fulfillment, satisfaction. And he who loses his, my, his life for Jesus' sake will find it. That's what the scriptures say. You're going to find it. And that's why I want to say to people, and I think that's why it's hard for us as believers seeing people missing out on the abundant life that Christ promised. They don't get it. They haven't tasted, they haven't seen that good is, God is good. That he alone satisfies. That he is the great I am, the becoming one. And we want people to see, to know him. Some of us struggle. It's hard to let go, but we need to. Because until we let go, we're not going to be able to grab a hold of Jesus Christ. So, We've been looking at chapter 10. Lord willing, if the rapture doesn't happen before, or I don't drop dead up here. If I do, somebody finish the chapter for us. Um, we've been looking at these instructions, okay, that are being laid out to three different disciple groups, okay, living at different times. We have the 12 apostles that are spoken of in the first 15 verses, okay? And then we have the tribulation disciples that we looked at last week, in verses 16 to 23, okay, if you haven't read about the tribulation, pick up the book of Revelation, chapter 16 to 19, speak about the tribulation. The church is not there. We're not mentioned. Why? Because we have been raptured. We have been taken. We haven't been appointed to God's wrath, okay? Jesus became that force. He took that wrath upon himself. We're taken out. So does that mean people aren't going to be saved during the tribulation? No, they are going to be saved, and what they're going to go through is radically different than what we're facing. And that's why Jesus spoke these words. I find encouragement in these verses we've been studying as a follower of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what, if we try to put ourselves in the shoes of those disciples, that'll be going through the tribulation, okay? The rise of the Antichrist, being persecuted like crazy for their faith. Not just a little bit on the news, you know, but truly being persecuted for their faith in Christ. Not even being able to buy and sell. You know, they're going to have a hard time in this world. I think those believers during that time are going to find great encouragement in verses 16 to 23 here. And then all disciples at any time throughout church history, we see verses 24 to 42, and we're going to cover the bulk of that this morning. And I want you guys to remember as we study these scriptures, because I've seen people uh, misinterpret this passage, it's not talking about sonship here. 
being a child of God. It's specifically speaking about discipleship. And we can't get those two mixed up as we come to this, uh, this section of Scripture. It's about discipleship. Okay? We became sons and daughters of Christ when? When we first put our faith in Christ. Okay? It's through faith that we become children of God. So we are disciples as we faithfully follow and obey his will. That's a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to follow. And that's what he's calling us to. That's what he's called us to go do. Make disciples of all nations. Well, I can't disciple anybody unless I've been discipled myself. Am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? Am I following him? Am I able then to go and fulfill the great commission to obey him? His will. So sonship doesn't change. Discipleship does. There's a distinction between the two. Once you're in Christ, you're in Christ. Okay? You might be a little you know, bad boy or bad girl, but you're still part of his family. You might be the black sheep of the family, but you're still part of the family. Does that make sense? Okay, once you're in Christ, you're in Christ. You've been sealed for the day of redemption. Okay? But discipleship, that's something that we grow in. Okay, God has promised to complete a work in us. John 17, 17 talks about sanctification. How does that happen? It's by his word. Okay, why? Because we're listening to him. We're learning from him. We don't care about the other words that are out there. We go to the word <laughs> and we submit ourselves. We humble ourselves to him and his teaching, his ways, and we follow him. So as we walk with Christ, that's really how we grow as a disciple of his. This chapter then gives us deep insight to really what discipleship looks like. And I hope you guys have been gleaning a lot as we've been going through this chapter uh, because we need to be in that place of growing. Okay, That's one of our prayers for each other. That's why God's given us the church to equip the saints for the ministry. And we take that serious. How do we do that? Well, it's through his word. You guys read the early church. They gave themselves to doctrine. There's an importance to God's word. And we need to take that serious. So I hope we're able to go deep. And then it helps us see that our lives are to be given to kingdom business, that we are citizens of the kingdom who have power. But what are we supposed to do? Even though we've been given this power that he spoke to, we humble ourselves, don't we? We humble ourselves to serve. But I don't want to serve them anymore. Haven't I done enough? They're 18. They should be out of the house. <laughs> no, we humbly serve, right? Love God, love others. Pretty simple. But that takes humility to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Didn't he empty himself? That's what he did. We follow his example. And if we are going to be disciples of him, it's not going to be about us, our kingdom. We're no longer calling the shots. We're following him. So I want you also to note as we jump into this, the features of Jesus' instructions to these disciples. One is disciples were dependent on who? On their seminary training, right? <laughs> Reading those books. No, what were they dependent upon? Upon God. That's who they're dependent upon. Not their 401s, not their wisdom, their strength, but God. So not on their own wealth possessions for necessities. That's really what verses 8 to 11 laid out for you and I. And then we have disciples who were to give all men the freedom to accept or reject them and their Lord. We saw that in verses 12 to 15. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ yet, I hope you do. Stop rejecting him. He loves you. He is God. He is worthy of your life. He wants to spend eternity with you. But you understand it's your choice. You can reject that. But we as disciples, we follow and we go share. And the world will reject us also as they reject him. And we'll see more of that this morning. Um, also, we see disciples were to expect and to endure persecution from those who rejected and hated their Lord in verses 16 to 26. And now this morning, we're going to see here that disciples are to remember their great value to God the Father and to do his will without fear of men. We just do his will. Don't be scared. Just do. We see that in verses 27 to 33. 
And then we'll see in verses 34 to 39 that disciples are to expect conflict, even in their own homes, in everything. Jesus is to be put first, and pain is to be born, just as Jesus bore pain upon the cross. And then the last few verses, 40 to 42, it says uh, there, we'll look at in a moment, but the disciples there could know that they brought great gifts, okay, to men who would be rewarded for their responses to the Father and to his children. So discipleship in Jesus' time was basically these Jewish leaders, okay, who, would, uh, who were training others, Okay, they would go and they would actually live with their master, observing how they lived, how they conducted themselves. Um, and then they would find themselves imitating them. Okay? You, hang, <laughs> you become like who you hang out with. Okay? How many guys would say that you're a lot more like your spouse than you were the day you got married today? Yeah, some of you guys even start looking alike. It's just weird. <laughs> but it is. The people you hang out with, you start becoming like. That's just the way it is. Um, so that's the same thing with these guys who are being disciples. So after years of their training was complete, the disciple could recognize, be recognized as a teacher. Okay, I'm now in a place that I'm able to teach others, and they would go do the same thing that they had just uh, done themselves. They would go have a disciple and they would be now the teacher. So while discipleship is used in several ways, we see it in the scriptures. Disciple is used a lot in the book of Acts. As you read through it, its basic meaning is those who are learning to become like their teacher. Don't we have Paul, the apostle? He's my hero. I love him. He says, follow me as I what? Follow Christ. Okay. Well, I'm not going to follow you. You're imperfect. You're messed up. We're all imperfect. We're all messed up. I hope we can discern that in each other. But hey, those good things I'm seeing, those Jesus things I'm seeing in your life, that's what I want to be like. That's what I want to do. And I think there's a blessing that comes from being in fellowship, being around other believers, because we're able to learn from each other. And we should have those Pauls in our life that are pouring into us, that are discipling us, we also should be pouring into others also. In uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 40, you can jot this down. It says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Pretty cool. How many of you guys want to be like Jesus? I sure do. Any of you guys close? Any of you guys getting closer? Yeah, right? <laughs> That's God at work in us. So let's take a look this morning. We're going to start in verse 27. The first point I want to make is there's protection for disciples. We're going to look at protection, privilege, and promise and practice of disciples this morning. So let's look at verse 27. Whatever I tell you in the dark, Jesus says, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the, or, <clears throat> but cannot kill the soul. But rather, it tells us to fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay? If you guys don't believe in hell, guess what? You don't agree with Jesus. Because Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. It's a literal place. The Bible talks about it a lot. I listened to a Yahoo this week who does not believe in hell. And there are millions of people watching his stuff, taking it anyways. Um, Beberians. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from the Father's will. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. How cool is that? Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. Therefore, verse 32, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Wow. 
You guys ever wonder, like, if I could just take, like, one, you know, teaching or one paragraph or, uh, you know, a scripture, which one would I take to share with the world? You know, is this kind of getting to the point right here? Like, Jesus, I mean, he's not messing around. He's just like, this is what it's about, okay? <laughs> this is life. Um, heaven and hell is real. I'm the way. You either believe or you don't. And if you confess, you're going to be with me, with my Father. If not, you're not going to be. Pretty simple, right? Um, so the Father, let's consider him. He was truly concerned for them and aware of their circumstances. So here, he's speaking in verse 27. Really, it's tell out what your master tells you. Okay? What is he speaking to you? I know people are afraid to speak the word of God to share with others. There is power in what God's doing. How do we overcome Satan? According to Revelation 12.10, they're over going to come by the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of the saints. I think that's still true today. It's because of the blood of Jesus. If Brian would have kept on reading this morning, it's all about the blood there. Okay? That's why. Okay? We have this life in Christ and we can believe and be given this gift. It's because Jesus laid down his life. And we can have peace as a result of it. So we get to receive from God. And I encourage you last week, was it you guys? Maybe it was the youth group. Oh yeah, youth group last Sunday night. We're talking about the omnipresence of God versus the manifest presence of God. And we just roundtabled some ideas. What can we do to make sure that we're in that sweet spot with Jesus? We're daily meeting with him, worshiping, praying, being in his word, devotion. Because let me tell you what, when you get that time and you block out all these distractions, all the other stuff, and you can really seek him, he's going to speak. He's going to speak, especially if we shut our faces. How many of us, when we pray, we're the only one doing the talking? That's not talking with God. That's telling God. You know, sometimes we just need to shut our faces and just be still before God. Let him speak. And man, if he reveals something to you, great. Share it with others, okay? If it's really out there and goofy, we'll tell ya. <laughs> you. <know? laughs> but let me tell you what, I believe God is speaking to a lot of you guys, and it is a blessing to share those things with others. So go shout it from the rooftops. We have a flat roof. You won't fall off here. Come down in the middle of Kakana. Bring a blowhorn. That would be fun. Kids get out just after three. Um, <laughs> so here, it is like a whisper in your ear. Then, the sound, then we get to sound it forth like the gossip in the town. <laughs> it's, it's good. I wish we would hear more about Jesus. It seems we're living in a time where we can talk about anything except him. You know, well, that's okay. The world isn't told to talk about him. Who's told to talk about him? To make him known. Who's his salt and light? It's us. It's the church, guys. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 50 together. Isaiah here, he gives for you and I, I think just a beautiful outline of what we should do to follow this pattern. And it's really set to the, this is a messianic passage, but it's to the Messiah. And again, aren't we to be disciples of Jesus? Aren't we to follow his ways? I think this is something that you and I can glean and say, hey, this is right. This is good. This is what I should do. So here in chapter 50 of Isaiah, first we read in verse 4 the what. Okay, the question, what, what, what's, what's, what should we do? Okay, how do we follow this? It says here, the Lord God has given me, speaking to his son, the Messiah, the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. And was Jesus good at that? I think so. I bet I'm loving studying this gospel with you guys. Reading the words of Jesus, how he met people, spoke into so many of them that came to him were broken, completely bankrupt, empty, needing healing, a touch from God Almighty. And it's so cool because Jesus' words, what he imparted to them, is huge. Huge. So, we should have a word to speak 
in a season to him that is weary. Do you guys know that people are weary? Yeah. Speak a word. Be ready. Let's look at the how. Then it says, he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens me to hear as the learned. The Lord has opened my ear. So when does this happen, guys? Morning by morning. Do you meet with the Lord in the morning? You know? I wanted to sleep in today. I don't know if you guys hear the rain in your house. I heard the rain. I'm like, oh, perfect day to sleep in. You know? So I was in and out. But in my in and outs this morning, I'm talking to the Lord laying in bed there. You know, uh, Reasoning through things, talking with him. And there is that time. There's just something special about the morning. You have that down time. Take advantage of it. And then it says result. The result here is what? And I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. And again, this is a messianic thing, but Jesus is our example, right? So here, simply hear, speak, and obey, guys. Hear from God, speak, obey him. Pretty simple. So he had a ready tongue, but first, did you guys catch what he had before that? A ready ear. He was listening. Have you guys come to church this morning with a ready ear? Do you want to hear from his word? Or are you just going through the motions? You just say, oh, this is what I do on Sunday. A lot of people do that. I don't know how Catholics for years went to a mass where the dude didn't even speak in English. You know, Latin. Do you guys have you ever taken a Latin service? Oh, yeah. yeah. What are you, like, <laughs> that would drive me nuts. You know, like I go expecting, like I want to hear, Okay. I want to hear. When I'm listening to a pastor, a good teaching, man, I wish like I had like a remote in my pocket, like, pause, dude. I got to take some notes quick. This is really good. Okay, you can start up again. <laughs> Whoa, you're leaning. I need, to, I need to catch what you're saying here. Pause. God, I got to pray this in. <laughs> this is something I've been struggling with, or this is something that's been on my heart. You guys know what I'm talking about? We need those times, but before we're able to really speak, I believe, in an honoring way to God, we got to be in a place of listening first. I think a lot of people, it's just easier to spout off. Here's my ideas. This is what, and I always encourage you guys, have heard me say this over and over again. Before you confront a brother or sister about something, okay, because we are told to do that in the scriptures, pray. You better be in prayer before you talk to that person. There's been so many times where, oh, this needs to be addressed. This needs to be taken care of right now. And I prayed, and God says, I got it. You don't say a word. <laughs> you continue to extend grace, and you love. You know, Or my heart's been prepared in a way that I'm able to speak the truth and love in a way that it's received. So I encourage you guys, listen first. Because God will give us that wisdom. He asks us to pray for wisdom, doesn't he? Okay. Give me wisdom. What's the best thing in this situation? So, especially you guys who have teenagers, I need to talk to you guys too. Gain some wisdom. My kids are growing up so fast. How does that happen? Anyways, here are early morning vigils, okay? You think about this before God to receive instruction from him. Um, how, how many of you guys have been to a vigil before? For real? Vigil. Am I saying it right? Vigil. Prayer vigil. Yeah, I did one of those 24 hours ones. You guys ever do one of those? Anyways, it's something that you normally, a vigil's given to a time that you normally be sleeping, okay? Oftentimes, early morning, you're given to prayer or uh, to, <laughs> to be watching. It actually comes from the word watchfulness or awake or alert in the Greek. Those are the same thing. To, to do that. Some of you guys own uh, Spurgeon's devotional, Morning by Morning. That's where he gets it from. It's phenomenal, but it's those early meditations, early in the morning. Where do they come from? Morning by morning. Jesus spoke of it in the Lord's Prayer <laughs> regarding our daily diet or our daily bread. We need that. And he was a great example. Wasn't Jesus always up super early, going off to do what? Meet with the Father. He's up early to pray, to seek God. That is a good thing. So when our ears are open, there will be no more opportunities for our mouths to be open. Okay? So, 
um, listen before we speak and listen more than we speak. Okay? Especially when you're in a place of trying to receive from somebody. Okay? A lot of times through the years, I've done some pretty hard cases of counseling with people. Okay? And I come in and I'm like, man, I know Jesus is the answer. He's got the words of life. <laughs> I got some neat things to share. But this person's not in a place to listen. All they want to do is keep talking about their problems and why they're in the stuff that they're in. They never stop in order to actually hear anything. And I think it's good for us to take those times just to allow God to speak. Just let him speak. So, um, yeah, let's look at verse 28 here. Um, People may kill our bodies, okay? Um, There's a shooting yesterday at a synagogue. We should be praying for that. Um, You know, people can do things, but they cannot touch our soul. I love that Jesus laid this out for us as believers. You know, they can come against us. Some of you guys may have been spit upon, beat up for your faith in Christ, um, or beat up for other reasons. (laughs) Uh, But the reality is, they can't mess with our souls if we're in Christ. Okay, we are his. We've been bought and paid for with a price. But this is not to be a flippant statement either. I want us to catch what Jesus is really saying here. Does God care about both our body and our soul? Absolutely, guys. He cares about both. And we should take care of our bodies to the best of our abilities. Okay? Be wise in what you take in what you do. I know we all can do better. I know some of you guys love eating nuts. You're super healthy. You know, that's awesome. But (laughs) I think we are all convicted in different ways that, hey, we are the temple of the living God. I want to finish strong. You know, I I hope that I'm able to go, you know, into life and live a quality of life long time that I'm able to keep serving the Lord well. But if we're not taking care of ourselves, that ain't going to happen. So God does care. There is a lot that he speaks to in his word in regards to soul care and body care. He does care. So take care of yourselves, guys. If you need help with that, talk with somebody. Go to those people who eat the nuts in our fellowship and say, hey, what wisdom have you gained? What are you doing? What exercises? What's practical? You know, and it's not to become, you know, all about our bodies, Okay, but the scriptures tell us in Timothy, you know, bodily exercise does profit a little. I mean, it is good for something, but we also need to care care of our souls. And whether we like it or not, our bodies are connected in this life and they are going to affect each other. That's one thing I know to be very, very true, and it's a struggle, but it's something that God wants us to be aware of. And we can see that in verse 32. He speaks into that a little bit more that. He does care about our bodies. So there is no cure for the fear of man like the fear of God. Some of you guys are like, ah, following Christ isn't easy. Do you fear man more than you fear God? I think that's the question we really got to ask. Would you guys agree with me? Yes. Okay. I, I, I don't think I'm making that up because we're told Ephesians chapter or Galatians chapter 6 to be men, uh, not men pleasers, but God pleasers. We need to care about him above all things. Some of you guys might be familiar. My, my little Finn's been singing uh, a hymn that Martin Luther wrote many years ago, A Mighty Fortress. How many of you guys familiar with that? Yeah, he's been singing that all the time lately. I don't know if he's learning at school or what he's doing. Um, he read it for, or sang it for us a few weeks ago uh, while we were upstairs uh, before church for prayer, which you guys should come to, 845. We pray every Sunday. Uh, that would be good. Uh, he kicked us off a few weeks ago singing the song. But I just want to read a line from it. It says, Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. And do we grasp that truth, (laughs) that reality? Are we getting the big picture? Or is it all about the here and now, me, now? No, we need to have that big picture. So, if verses 29 to 30 one here, speak to God caring about us. Do you know that he cares about you? I know that's one way that the enemy gets in, okay? 
Yeah, God loves you and died for you, but he doesn't really care about you a whole lot. There's so many other people that he cares about and other things that he has to worry about. Than you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Okay, guys? Um, we need to recognize that he even cares you know, about the hair on our head. It's valued. Our hair that just falls out for some of us. I mean, <laughs> it's just one of those things. He, that's why I grow a beard. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he cares about every hair. Think about that, guys. Okay, so what must our bodies be worth? Think about that. Okay, if he cares about the things on our heads, what about our whole bodies, you know, and how much our souls care to him? Do you guys understand that there's a battle going on over the souls of men? There's a battle. <laughs> this is why God became a man and laid down his life to be a sacrifice so that the souls of men could be redeemed. It matters to him. So the, no need to fear when God is exercising such wonderful care over us. I see so many people tripping out, and I think it is really simple. Okay, We need to stop tripping when Jesus is in control. He's on the throne. So need, no need to fear when God is exercising this care. And then verse 32, if you look to this, he says, if you confess him, okay, which actually means much more than making a statement with our lips. You know, I'm good pastor. I've done Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. I've confessed with my mouth that Jesus is in the Lord. And I believe in my heart. I don't think Jesus is into lip service. You know, yeah, confession is made with our lips. We should confess him. We need to believe with our heart. True belief. But what he's saying here, it means that we back up our lives with that statement. It's not, hey, I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, but I'm going to live completely contrary to, to my confession. What would you say to someone who lived contrary to their confession? You're a joke. You're a liar. You don't really believe it. You see, if you really believe in your heart, guess what? Your life will follow. Not perfectly, but you're always going to come back. Why? Because you know this is your belief. This is your faith. It is him. So Jesus here is just laying out, hey, if you confess me, I'm going to confess you. If you don't confess me, I won't confess you. Where's the fruit? I think that's really where confession's made. Because we have a lot of people saying a lot of things. Okay? Do you guys know that it's 80-some percent of people in America are Christian? I talk to people. They must not live here in the Fox Valley. They must be everywhere else in America. So I talk to a lot of them, or their definition of Christian is different. You see, guys, it is easy to say Jesus is my Lord. It's quite another thing to actually surrender to him, to obey his will. You know, the walk and the talk are actually going to match up. That's sacrifice, isn't it? And hasn't he called us to be a living sacrifice? How do we do that? We need to renew our minds, guys, in his word. Don't be conformed to this world. We're to be set apart as Christians. We're to be given to him. You see, there's the other side, verse 33, it's speaking to the original 12, and only one fell into that latter category. That was Judas Iscariot. There are people who are going to go to church, go through the motions, they're not really following Jesus. They're in it for whatever. Today I see a lot of books coming out in the church about discipleship. You know, it started about 15 years ago. All my pastor friends, you got to try this program. You got to get this book. If you do walk your church through this book of discipleship, okay, then you guys are going to be healthy. You'll be growing. And I'm looking into these books, I'm reading them, and I'm like, well, it's just what the Bible teaches. Why do we need this? And as I've seen this kind of evolve over the last decade, what I've seen are a lot of holy huddles going on. They actually call some of these groups huddles. And all they do is get together. They're not actually going out and getting any, doing anything. They're not actually learning how to study the scriptures to really dive in. They're just little groups, social clubs. And I don't see God asking us to be a social club. Do you guys read those scriptures? I haven't found them, you know. There's a blessing of being a part of the church, but we all have our part. 
We all have our giftings. There's a working together. We are here to what? To edify, to equip for the work of the ministry. Where's the ministry, guys? Man, it's right in our own backyard. It's our neighbors. It's our coworkers, family members. So let's move on to the next part. We looked at uh, protection. I love it. Now let's look at the reality of privilege as being his disciples. Verse 34 tells us, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Uh Uh-oh. What translation? You guys got the same translation? Is this really Jesus saying this? I thought he was the Prince of Peace. What? He's going to bring a sword, for I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and man's enemies will be those of his own household he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me was Jesus telling a joke here, or is he being serious? How does this work with his message, with the gospel? A sword, I thought you came to bring peace. Didn't you preach peace? You see, in verse 34, there's other passages where it says that Jesus said he was, he's come to bring peace, right? Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us the son's given. And then it concludes that he is the prince of peace peace. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Christmas is right around the corner, right? Glory to God in the highest. Why? Because peace be to earth, on earth, right? Goodwill towards all men. Jesus has been born. (laughs) In Acts 10, 36, you can jot that down, okay? The word came, and what, what, what was the word? Well, they came preaching peace. That's what they were preaching, through Jesus Christ, because he is Lord over all. How are we going to have peace in this world? It's through Jesus Christ. But if we're in Christ, what is he telling us here in Matthew 11 or 10? Our families are even going to be divided. There's not going to be peace even in our households. What are you talking about, Jesus, then? Well, let's look at this a little bit. Their peace is applied to be restored relationships. Okay, Jesus brings between God and man. Okay? And that's the ultimate peace that we're looking for. That is the foremost important relationship in our lives. And let me tell you what, when you're finally at peace with your maker, you have never experienced such an emotion in all your life, knowing that you are his. Wow. You've been forgiven. Jesus loves you. You've been given eternal life to have peace despite who you are with your creator. It's a beautiful thing, beautiful thing. And that is the ultimate peace he brings to creation when his messianic work was finished upon the cross. And after his second coming, we know that he's going to come and he's going to rule and there will be peace during uh, that time, the millennial reign. And it's hard to have peace today, isn't it? You turn on the news and like, whoa, why are we all fighting? This is ridiculous. I'm supposed to go vote next week. I don't even know what to, who to vote for because the few you know, advertisements I've gotten in the mail, the few, how many of you guys have gotten dozens already? It's ridiculous, okay? We, oh, we won't talk about the money we waste. Um, <laughs> but anyways, all I know is what is bad about this person and that person. and I don't even know what's good about them. Why are they even run? It's just like all we want to do is fight and point fingers. It's just like, hey, what is going on? That is our world today. Some of you guys are even having a hard time receiving the word of God today. Not because I'm preaching differently than I normally do. It's because I happen to have a hat on that you don't agree with. Some of you guys are like, no, I'm more spiritual than that, pastor. But some of you guys are just like, how dare you? What are you wearing? Are you... Did you wear that because you're going to preach out of Genesis 21 where Abraham, you know, goes and sacrifices that ram? What, what's going on, Pat? This can't be true. This can't. My wife this morning, you can't wear that to church. 
I got a hearty no from her, okay? But isn't it crazy the little things that can get us set off nowadays? Don't worry, I picked the Packers. Um, <laughs> but it's crazy the things that we get undone about that can throw us off, that can get us in an argument that relationships can split over. It's signs of the time, guys, because we're so self-centered. I want my way. I want this. How dare you, son, start doing this religious thing? We only go to church on Christmas and Easter. This is a little crazy. You're wanting to go to church every week. Why are you reading that Bible? The reality is there are a lot of things that bring division and we see it going on all over the world. But if we really step back and look historically, what Jesus has told us here in verses 34 to 38, he has brought more division than anyone else in this entire world. And why is it, guys? People love their sin. That's the bottom line. They don't want to come to the light. They want to continue to live in the dark. And if there's just a little bit of light, even your family who loves you the most is going to have a hard time with that. And some of you guys have estranged children, relationships, and it's all because you just choose to walk with Jesus. And it's hard because you love your family. You love your mom. You love your dad. You love your daughter. You love your son. But that's just part of walking with Jesus. Amen. And he needs to be number one, guys. So, in his first coming, guys, he brings division. And his call to the kingdom of God is accepted by some and it's rejected by many. And that's part of the reason we have a hard time. I think about the kids across the street all the time. Man, if anybody stands up just to declare Jesus. I don't know, hey, did you guys see the coach, the, I forget where he was, high school coach, prayed after a game. He had done it for years, 15 minutes. He's not around anybody else, doesn't have his kids praying with him. He just purposed in his heart to give thanks, whether they won or lost, just to give thanks to God. He'd done it for years. He got fired for doing it. And now it's going before the court. I think it's this next week. They're trying to get into the Supreme Court and there's an appeal thing or something. They're gonna, but it's just ridiculous to the point we got. A man not even talking about Jesus. All he did was just bow his knee and prayed quietly. That's all he did. It was after the game was done. His responsibility as coach, we're done. He'd go to the center field and bow his knee. That's what's going on today. And I think about these kids. We probably bring Jesus to them. No, we'll do anything else but that. Nah. -uh. We'll even teach our kids about other religions. We'll even teach our kids how it's okay for them to have their own opinions of faith and this and that. But we can't speak the truth to them as we're teaching them those things. We can't allow them to actually think and reason about the claims of who Christ is and what the Bible says. So we know this is going to happen. Some receive, some reject. Jesus' kingdom's message inherently brings strife and conflict. It always has and always will. The context may be um, of persecution and martyrdom here, but this impersonal discord also results in turning persons' families against him or her. Um, in verse 37, okay, we show the priority of our love for Christ, right? As we place him above our families. Is that what it says here? Do we place him above his... I don't want to go to church because that offends my husband. We're going to let our kids make their own choices and what they want to believe because we think it's very important for them. We don't want to do what God tells us by training our children the way they should go because we think it's best for them to make their own decisions at this very impressible, impressionable age and all the junk that's around us. In verse 38, we show the proof of our love for Christ. Okay, so we have the priority, but this is the proof then that we are able to take up our cross and follow him. 
So he's the priority, even above our family. So in verse 37, love really is the central um, theme of Jesus' moral exhortation. Guys, think about the greatest commandment with me. What is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor. You guys see, love is the theme. However, family devotion does not supersede devotion to Christ. Can I say that again? Family devotion does not supersede devotion to Christ. But pastor, I got to focus on my family. That's what Dr. James Dobson told me. Family life. It's all about marriage. Once we got our marriage fixed, then we can start serving the Lord together and doing what the Lord... Where is that in Scripture? I'm all for healthy marriages. I'm encouraging you guys, go to weekend to remember. That's good. But let me tell you what, what's going to fix a marriage, what's going to keep the family on the straight and narrow and honoring and loving Jesus in this life and being a witness and serving him together is mom and dad, priority is God first. That's what they're going to see. Husband, maybe your wife is struggling. Love Jesus. Don't try to fix her. Love Jesus more. You will lead her better. Okay? And same thing for you gals. I wish my husband would just spiritually lead. <laughs> I wish he would do his job. I wish he'd just get saved. Okay? Once that happens, then I can do what God's calling me to do. I don't think we're going to stand before God one day and he's going to ask us, you know, how'd you do with your family? Because I think that is just clear in Scripture. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ, this is just what you do. You love your husband. You respect your wife. You train your kids up in the Lord. You love. <laughs> that's what you, that should be a given. I don't think that's a special call. I'm called to my family. We're all called to our family. That's what God asks all of us to do. But what about his will, his purpose for your life? That may include your family, and what a blessing when it does. But we're going to stand before God one day, and he's going to ask, did you do what I asked you to do? I was too busy focusing on my family. Because that's all my pastor told me to do from the pulpit. I mean, every other week it was a marriage study. And then every other week it was how to take care of our finances so my family could be taken care of. I'm not against family. You guys know I'm all for family. But let me tell you what, when we start to put our wives, our husbands, our children above our devotion to Christ, something's backwards. Something, someone doesn't have their rightful place in our lives. I want to encourage you men for a second. We love our wives. We don't want to see strife in the home. But sometimes we need to do what God's asking us to do, even if they're going to get upset. But let me tell you what, I know most of your wives, they would rather be upset with you for a little bit, knowing that you're following your convictions before the Lord and doing what he's asking, even if it's a sacrifice for the family, for a time, they will be honored and blessed knowing that you are following Jesus. And it's one of those things, guys, that things work out, okay? God, God's gonna be glorified and that's all that matters. So wives, encourage your husbands. Husbands, encourage your wives when they come home from Bible study, from retreat, stoked about something with the kids or the family or things you can do, okay? There is a working together, the one to best glorify God. But let me tell you what, it's all about God. That's the point. He's number one. That may be hard to receive and hear, but that's the truth. Not that I'm against family life or focus on the family. Don't mishear me. But I wish there was focus on Jesus' radio program. That would be great. Amen? All right. What verse were we on? 20 or 37. Okay. So some who follow Christ, they're going to be hated, we're told, they're by their family members, which may be a part of the cost of discipleship. There is a cost to following Jesus. And then verse 38, true disciples must, not just some of them, but must take up their cross and follow Jesus. It's a must. You can underline that. So he must be willing to face, to embrace, to identify with Jesus, Jesus' kingdom message, to the point of being willing to be hated by his family. 
to that point. Well, I don't want to ruffle feathers. <laughs> you know, no, we need to speak the truth because we love enough to speak the truth to them. We don't want to let them think, hey, they're just okay. Okay? As long as we can live peaceably. No, <laughs> I love you. What you believe is wrong. Jesus Christ is the only way, period. I love you enough to tell you this. I want to share scriptures with you. You need to know the truth. Heaven is for real. Hell is for real. You're going to one of those places and you can't do it without Jesus. So, be praying, loving. Um, he talks about also being also to death. So kind of like a criminal back in Jesus' day. You guys know that they had to carry their cross um, to his own execution. Think about that. That's kind of the picture that I'm getting here as we consider taking up our own cross. In the Roman Empire, if you were convicted a criminal, when you, <coughs> you were taken to be uh, crucified, they'd actually force you to carry your own cross. It was normally just the beam that would get stuck up upon a tree or a cross beam. Um, but the crucifixion was reserved for who? Criminals, right? Foreigners, slaves. <laughs> so the condemned person had to carry his or her own cross. Um, so this showed publicly that he was then under submission to the rule of the opposing. So what is Jesus saying when you take up your own cross? Oh, <laughs> I'm not in submission to this world. I'm in submission to Jesus Christ. I'm not in submission to my family. God comes first. And this is a cross for me to bear so likewise, these disciples must demonstrate their submission to the one against whom they had rebelled. So Jesus' followers were admitting his right over their lives. That's what they're saying. Do you guys get what Jesus is getting at? That's what they're speaking to. It's being a true follower of Christ. So in so doing, uh, one would find his life in return for having given it up for Jesus Christ. So each must take up his own cross. Do you guys catch that there? His own cross. And it's going to look different than mine or the person sitting next to you. Your own cross. See, he sees none exempt from this process. Not make up your own cross. I think some people do that. Well, for you, Jesus... I'll stop eating at, you know, those buffets because that's gluttony. <laughs> that's going to be my cross. That's not a cross, guys. That's just wisdom, unless it's too hot. And then, <laughs> I like too hot. <laughs> um, but you guys get the point, okay? It's not making up your own, but to take up your own personal custom cross, chosen, made, shaped, you know, contour, fitted for you by Jesus. There's certain crosses and there's going to be things you go through and you might scratch your head and lose a lot of hair on top wondering why, why this, why that, why do I have to go through that? Because son, this is what I've set before you. This is your cross to bury or carry. You go, you pick it up, you keep following me. That's what you do, guys. So it will not take us up. We must take it up daily and follow him now we're going to wrap up the last two points real quick we've looked at protection the privilege of the disciple now let's look at the promise in verse 39 it says he finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it so according to this verse guys the path jesus and his followers would travel would be a road of suffering okay and sorrow that's just going to be part of it Okay. But that's not the abundant life Joel Olstein told me about. I don't care what people say. What does Jesus say? You're going to follow him. There's going to be many trials and tribulations before you enter the kingdom. That's the Bible. If you're going to pick up your cross and follow him, living godly, you will be persecuted. That's just part of our lives as disciples. So... Um, Yeah. Those who don't take up their cross in discipleship, therefore avoiding death maybe, to lose their own lives, they're going to lose it where? In the judgment. 
It's either one or the other, guys. That's the point. You're going to lose your life now or you're going to lose it later for eternity. I'd rather die now <laughs> and have eternal life. So to get a life with him, you need to lose a life. And that's where you lose a lot of people from the gospel. Oh, God loves me? Jesus is my ticket to heaven because he died on that cross? My sins come I want in. But I still wanted all my other stuff too. My stuff. I'm not willing to give up my life. But that's what Jesus is asking for. There's no middle ground here, okay? It's allegiance. It's to get that new life, okay? It's not your own. It's your old man, okay? The, the scriptures use that for a picture. It's no longer me. Look how great I am. But it's truly, guys, humbling yourself and giving complete allegiance to Jesus. It's my life, everything. It's all his. That's what God wants. We turn to him, we repent. My life is yours. I'm following you. You think about earlier, he asked his disciples, don't take anything with you, just go. I gotcha. I am your life now. That's what he's promised. So don't gain the temporal at the expense of the eternal, guys. We can't do that. Allegiance to Christ. And then the last point is the practice. So we got protection, privilege, promise, and practice. Look at verse 40. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives, or <coughs> receives me receives him who sent me, which would be the Father. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives, I love this, gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple. Assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. I think that's pretty cool, guys. So these are more benefits to, to, to a true disciple, okay? True discipleship here. First, we saw what? We will be honored by the Son in the presence of the Father in verses 32 and 33. That's awesome. And then we will fully gain one's life, okay? In verse 39. And now we will also be given great rewards? I think discipleship's pretty cool. Some are listening to this passage this morning and thinking, I want nothing to do with Jesus. This sounds horrible. Really? Persecution? Picking up a cross? What are you, dying? Really? Are you guys catching what that results in? That results in true life, eternal life, promises, rewards. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to leave anything on the table. God has given so much. Let's go for it, guys. Verse 42, one of these little ones, he says. I want you guys to catch this. If one of these little ones, it indicates uh, indication of a status, not age here. So little ones refer to disciples of Christ. So note the descending climax. A prophet, a righteous man, a little one. Signifying that however low we can come down in our services uh, to those that are Christ's, all that he has done for his sake and bears a stamp of his love to his awesome name shall be divinely appreciated and owned and rewarded. Think about that. Even a cup of cold water in the name of Christ, you'll be rewarded for that. What do we do, guys? We love. We love. Why do we do the pantry? Because we love Jesus. We're called to love others. Why do we go to our neighbors? We love them. Why are we here? To love each other. It's pretty simple. But you don't understand. I gotta love myself, pastor, before I can love others. If you have that thinking, I want you to show me the scripture. We can't love right until we die to self. Self is sin. God's got you. He's gonna take care of you. Don't worry about yourself. Just love him and as you love him, you're going to be loving others. It's just going to be an overflow. Amen? Let's stand to our feet and pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for your word. We want to commit these things to you this morning. 
I know that you've been here with us and we thank you for that. We thank you that you've been speaking to us, to our hearts. We pray that we would be faithful and obey those things that you're asking of us. It's time for some of us to let go of things, addictions, Father, things of this life, things that we esteem that you haven't even called us to. Lord, help us to surrender well. Help us to follow you closely, Jesus. We thank you for these promises, these blessings, these truths that we have in being your disciples. Help us to learn well from you, that we can get it right, that we can give it right to others. And help us, God, just to do those things that you're asking of us. We need your help in that. We know it's not by might nor by power, but it's by your spirit. We need your help. We thank you so much, Father, for um, all that you are doing and how you are working in our lives. And we just want to be open to more and more of what you have because we know that this life is short. God, we don't want to get stuck on our stuff. We want to be about your stuff, your business, because we know that you know best. And we want our lives, Lord, to matter, to count, or that others would be able to see and know that you are alive, that you love them. God, help us to be bold. Help us, Father, to uh, just walk the way you've called us to walk. Amen.